This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, welcome back to the New Books in Anthropology, a channel on the New Books Network. My name is Adam Bobek, and I'm a PhD candidate in cultural anthropology at the University of Leipzig. It is my great pleasure today to welcome to the show Margarete von Oswald and Jonas Tenius to discuss their new edited volume, Across Anthropology, Troubling Colonial Legacies, Museums, and the Curatorial. Margarete von Oswald is a research fellow at the Center for Anthropological Research on Museums and Heritage, also known as KARMA at the Institute of European Ethnology of the Humboldt Universität, the Humboldt University in Berlin. Jonas Tinius is also an Associated Research Fellow at the Center for Anthropological Research on Museums and Heritage at the Institute of European Ethnology for the Humboldt Universität in Berlin. And today we're talking about their new open access edited volume, Across Anthropology, Troubling Colonial Legacies, Museums and the Curatorial, published in 2020 by Leuven University Press. Dr. von Oswald, Dr. Tinius, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hi, thank Hello. you. Hello. Could you first talk a bit about how you developed this project and its relationship to Sharon McDonald's project? Sure. So um, thank you so much for this invitation, first of all. I'm, we're really happy to be here and be able to talk about this book um, that we actually uh, developed as part of a large project um, called Making Differences in Berlin, Transforming Museums and Heritage in the 21st Century, which was, um, which was initiated by Sharon MacDonald um, as part of her Alexander von Humboldt professorship, which she gained in 2016. And this is also when Jonas and I met, um, when this research center that you just mentioned, Karma, was founded as part also of Sharon MacDonald's um, um, professorship. And so basically what she invented as a project is uh, to do a collective ethnography of Berlin's landscapes of museums and heritage developments and to look in a particular at the multiple transformations that were going on. And so she um, developed several sub-projects to this very large endeavor. And Jonas and I were involved in a, in a group called um, Transforming the Ethnographic together with Larissa Förster. And we were in particular looking at um, the transformation of anthropological museums or museums that have um, anthropological collections, um, but also looking in particular of how these museums were changing with regards to debates around um, their colonial heritage and past, um, and um, looking at how anthropology as a discipline was also transforming, um, in particular with regards to um, the, the, the embeddedness of the discipline in um, colonial um, ideology. Um, yeah, and something else which I think would be important to, to add, uh, also again, thanks for my, for my side for the invitation. It's a pleasure to, to be here and to listen to the other podcasts in this series, which are fantastic. I think something that we both felt was really important and one of the most uh, central aspects to the development of this project was that we're both and... And the other researchers at Karma embedded in, in fieldwork. Um, fieldwork was really an important starting point for our project um, as anthropologists, as ethnographers. And we say this because our fieldwork overlapped, our fields overlapped. Um, as European ethnologists, uh, we studied the city of Berlin and we were looking at the ways in which the various agents operating in museums and across museums and outside of museums, activists, artists, curators, um, spoke to one another or didn't speak to one another, repositioned one another, and where and how certain ideas and concepts 
got initiated, how they travel, how they are refused, how they're translated or not translated, where misunderstandings occur. And this was something that we've been discussing over years um, since the beginning of this project um, and which really prompted us to think about the way in which anthropology travels as a concept and as a, as a term. Why across anthropology? Across anthropology is a kind of phrase, I suppose, that we came up with um, in order to capture the way in which anthropology as a discipline, by which we also mean its histories and institutions such as museums and archives, its methods, among them, of course, fieldwork and participant observation, as well as certain themes that are traditionally associated with it, uh, alterity, race, but also racism, ontology, personhood, materiality, agency, and so on, have really become central areas of inquiry beyond the discipline and its institutions. Um, so what we felt and what we were struck by, again, comparing the different perspectives from our field, was the way in which within the curatorial field, within the field of contemporary art, for instance, um, Fieldwork as a practice has been talked about. Um, this is obviously, you know, not a new discussion. And people like Hal Foster and Okfi Envisor have been really bringing these topics into discussion. But we've also noticed that anthropology, with its history and its discipline, has become a focal point within theoretically informed critical practices in the fields of art, activism, and anthropology. And we were surprised to what extent... Um, this had not been theorized or conceptualized within anthropology itself. And we wanted to see to what extent these kinds of, I suppose, activations, refusals, again, these problematizations of anthropology beyond itself um, could help rejuvenate, re refresh, replenish um, some of the conversations and also position anthropology in a much more publicly relevant um, way again. And I think that this really stemmed from our respective fieldwork because um, I was working in the Ethnological Museum in Berlin and observing how little contemporary anthropological discourse, discourse actually, um, how little it was read, um, used and, and put on display as well um, within these institutions, whereas Jonas, who was working with contemporary art institutions, was on the contrary very much um, observing these, the kind of activation of anthropological concepts. And this is why we kind of developed our argument of this across anthropology, because we, we really kind of saw where and how anthropology um, was being activated, used, um, also um, made accessible for, for a larger audience and for different kinds of audience which were outside of anthropology. Um, which I suppose is also one of the reasons why we stressed on this book being accessible um, uh, in, an, in an open access format, which obviously has been a way in which publish, publishing has shifted since, since quite some time. And obviously there's been a huge debate within anthropology about this. Um, but for us, it was really important to do that because we know that um, a lot of academic books are published for libraries um, and for institutions. And our point being that we have to think across institutional boundaries. It was important that this book could be accessible easily, um, be distributed, um, used in teaching, cut up in various kinds of ways, um, which was also one of the reasons why we insisted on the interviews um, in this book. Maybe we'll get to that uh, at a later point when we uh, talk more. Could you talk about the questions you're asking and why you're posing them now? Yeah, so we begin this book with, with a quote by Clifford Geertz, who said that anthropology, the only thing that's certain about anthropology is that it's always been in crisis. And this is obviously a reference point to the writing culture debate and the way in which uh, anthropology has been a very self-critical discipline. Um, it's, it's, as Michel Foucault said, it's one of the disciplines that has most fundamentally been concerned with the constitution of an idea of mankind, of personhood, of of Anthropos, and at the same time has been perhaps the discipline that was most centrally, uh, aside from psychoanalysis, perhaps been concerned with its dissolution. Um, so, so this is this is one of the points that was relevant for us. But at the same time, we wrote this book with two specific, I suppose, um, predicaments in mind, both of which refer 
perhaps um, in some ethnographic specificity to, to Europe um, and also to Germany, which is why we decided to focus the contributions of this book also uh, on, on European contexts. One is that in recent years, and especially across European countries, um, anthropological museums um, have been at the center of a fierce debate about the le legitimacy, the history, the naming um, of anthropology as a discipline. And with that um, go hand in hand quite a lot of other challenge, challenges um, to anthropology um, that we felt had not been addressed within the discipline in a way uh, that would, that would um, really be publicly consequential. The second was really a particular historical moment um, that we wanted to talk about, um, which is really the way in which Europe at present um, is facing renewed nationalist populisms um, that are, that are, that are um, allowing for the resurfacing of, of a sort of white nativism within Europe. Uh, and we felt that anthropology and its various forms uh, um, in European ethnology and ethnology has developed such a critical apparatus for dealing with diversity, with Europe, with nationhood, but also with white nativism and with racism, um, that it should really be a relevant discipline at present. And so we did realize that um, although there was this kind of reflection within anthropology, it was not necessarily within the discipline that it was being um, kind of brought outside of the discipline. And so we did then look at the places and locations um, where, where that was being done. And so we, we, we realized that it was like, in, in particular through curatorial practice, um, that, that this kind of powerful way of putting the messages outside and negotiating these concepts uh, was, was in, yeah, in, in other realms, basically, that this uh, ha happened, yeah. The subtitle of the book is Troubling Colonial Legacies, Museums and the Curatorial. Can you talk a little bit about that? So basically we decided to um, use um, the subtitle, um, Troubling Colonial Legacies, Museums and the Curatorial, to highlight the different fields in which we did our field work. And uh, we discussed for a long time about what kind of verb we would use and basically decided to use troubling because it is on the one hand a verb. Um, so kind of we try to, with these texts that we invited or the contributions we invited, we try to trouble these fields as contributions, but also because, of course, they are troubling in themselves. These colonial legacies, the museums that we've worked with, as well as curatorial agency, they trouble each other. And what I want to highlight is in particular how they trouble each other in relation to each other. And I think what's also important to add at this point is uh, that the idea of the adjectival idea of troubling uh, brings us back to the important work on difficult heritage that Sharon MacDonald um, has done, especially her book by the same title, which has been a, an important um, aspect of our thinking. Um, because colonial legacies are, like other forms of difficult heritage, breaking through into the present uh, in different ways that um, have not previously uh, been theorized, worked on in the same publicly visible kind of way. The reason we also have these three, um, as it were, themes, feels in our subtitle is because we wanted to highlight just um, to what extent these fields become relatable, um, to what extent certain kinds of discussions um, become public topics precisely because of a sort of unpredictable unfolding of events. Um, and in this in particular, we've been interested in the role of, uh, of curators, of museum uh, workers, uh, of activists, in bringing to the fore certain kinds of topics that um, that then translate across these fields. And this is very much also in relation to Donna Haraway's work uh, on and her kind of suggestion to stay with the trouble, to really highlight also that the ways in which these colonial legacies are being negotiated, put on display, discussed, debated, um, that they, they are staying with us, that they continue to trouble us, and that um, that we also, yeah, in, in her suggestion, kind of want to follow up on her work. 
And just to stick with this, this idea, in fact, of course, as ethnographers, as people who do field work, staying with the trouble for us also means really following the particular fields and actors and situations that trouble in a productive way, that is to say, that, that interrupt, but that also allow you to see certain kinds of conflicts. Um, I suppose troubling also means something along the lines of awkward for us, perhaps, uh, something along, along the lines of, an, of, 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 a, of something that becomes a problem. Um, and it's interesting when something becomes a problem because it tells you that previously certain kinds of things that hadn't been seen as a problem have maybe been either invisibilized, hidden, or they've simply not um, been considered as relevant. Um, and I think that's something which we've been trying to trace uh, across this book. And it's really important for us also to see that even though we have these three fields, themes, um, practices in the and in kinds of institutions in the subtitle, we're really interested also in thinking to what extent each of these repositions the other. That is to say, to what extent we might even have to find different terms um, for each of these. The idea of legacies, for instance, is one particular term that has been much discussed, and, and, and Margareta has been doing a lot of work on this in the, in the French context that maybe she can also say a word on. Uh, in terms of museums, we see the relabeling and, and, and renaming of museums, and even the term itself is, is perhaps more than before questioned. And the curatorial itself is a, is a kind of new term to describe fields um, and, and how, they, how they evolve. So this is something we're very interested in with, with this book too. And in particular, also um, um, with regards to to these questions that Jonas just raised, we we really wanted to highlight also that they have a history and that it's not us who kind of um, pose these questions for the first times. But in this idea of staying with the trouble, we also wanted to highlight that there are, there are people who have been working on these questions for decades, and we explicitly invited people also from different generations to contribute to the book because they. Um, because they have been troubled by these questions, such as Clementine Delis, who has since the 80s been contributing to the development of the fields from a curatorial perspective, Annette Bagwati, who in her contribution uh, really traces her career within the Haus der Kulturen der Welt, which is really just about the troubling of cultural difference. Um, and we also invited people from younger generations, such as Natasha Ginwala, who then kind of build on these um, legacies as well, curatorial legacies in that sense, um, and develop um, the questions further. Um, yeah, so we really try to give an overview also. So could you elaborate on the importance of curatorial labor for anthropology? So in our respective fieldworks, the role of curators really stood out and we realized that um, it is important also from an ethnographic and anthropological perspective to put curators as professionals into the focus because they really stood out as in their role as translators and initiators of processes of collaboration as researchers, theorists, but also activists. And this is why we really wanted to highlight their role within these troubling fields of museums um, and colonial legacies and colonial heritage in, in particular as well. Um, and we did focus um, on a particular kind of curator, uh, which ha a, a, a role that has basically been called the independent curators, a role that um, no notably in the 90s with the rays of um, um, the formats of the biennial and kind of in the continuation of world exhibitions has really developed um, and professionalized. And what we found particularly interesting with regards um, to these um, independent curators was that they were looking at the, the role and the importance of cultural difference in a different way, such as, for example, the role, the, the work of Catherine David or Okui Enbezo really highlighted from the 90s on, as well as also Clementine Delis, who features in this book. And um, so what we, how we kind of borrowed one of the major tools of their work, um, which is the format of the interview that they, um, that independent curators used um, prominently um, in order to um, publish on their work and to um, also theorize. 
And something that we should add uh, to in response to your question is the particular importance of curatorial labor for anthropology rests perhaps in something that we've observed and something that really was a starting point for uh, this book, which is to say the way in which anthropology as a discipline, its concepts, but also, as we said right at the beginning, um, certain kinds of modalities of engagement, so notions like fieldwork, participant observation, but also really themes that have been discussed in anthropology for, 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 for over a century, um, questions of, of, of othering, of the creation of culture, of ontology, and so on, have become some of the most central terms in contemporary art and in curatorial practice. We've seen this also with um, the, the, uh, the, the, the frequent appearance of uh, the work of anthropologists, uh, of Donna Haraway, of Bruno Latour, uh, of Discola, and so on, in um, uh, curatorial and artistic contexts. And what we're interested in is to, is to see what happens when such concepts or such practices get retranslated, get, in some ways, transformed, um, get taken up differently, also in terms of space, in terms of the three-dimensional narrations um, that occur in exhibitions, and what that, what the value added is for an anthropological conception. So, as it were, to take these as instances um, of, of what uh, Sharon MacDonald and, 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 and us at Karma have been thinking about also as a certain kind of recursivity, that is to say, to what extent certain tools reflect on their tooliness or the way in which uh, anthropological concepts get taken up elsewhere and that we can then, in our ethnographies of these fields, reflect on, um, on what that does to our own positions. So we've really been um, curious to understand curatorial practice also as a form of, well, not just translation in, a, in, in this kind of clean sense, but as a translation that shifts. So in this Derridaian sense, perhaps, of you know, something that gets also betrayed in its, in its form and to see um, how, that can, how that can inspire and, and inform our practice. Um, that's one of the reasons why the interviews with curators that we've put into this book are sort of situated not as a completely different part of the book, but they're interspersed really to show just to what extent the thoughts articulated by curators in these interviews um, are appearing uh, and recurring throughout the chapters and throughout our thinking of this book. So they're not a different part, they're not an illustration just of the curatorial field, but they're themselves working materials um, that we've deliberately devised in this way um, because we've, since the book appeared, really been seeing these um, appear in curricula and syllabi. We've been using them ourselves to teach um, and yeah, they've just been really helpful material and, and, and forms of thinking for us as well. So in reference to Dr. von Oswald's chapter, could you talk a little bit about the troubles and your troubling of provenance research? Um, so I wrote this chapter really to, to give, give an insight into the debate on provenance in, um, in Germany. And um, provenance research as such asks the question, where does an object come from? How has it been acquired? How has it changed? throughout its social life, um, in its travels, um, etc. And so, as such, it isn't necessarily a, a, political, um, a, a political kind of field of research. And it is also part of classic museological work. However, um, as in Germany, it has mostly been debated with regards to um, objects that were acquired and collections that were acquired during the NS regime, um, this has really kind of gotten a, a different kind of a political connotation. And more recently, and this is what I try to show uh, with, with my work, um, it has really been a, a huge topic um, with regards to the um, origins of, of colonial collections. Um, and. So what I try to do in, in general in my research is to understand work practices within the museum. And provenance research is obviously one major part of, of um, museum work, in particular an ethnological museum. Um, and 
in ethnological collections, this kind of provenance research doesn't only reveal um, very often the violence of colonial regimes and subjugation, but also prominently us, and this is why it has been politically so important lately, is why are these objects actually still here if we can prove that they have been acquired in violent um, circumstances. Um, so in particular, when you then look at what I've done, so I'd, I've done an, an ethnography of this kind of work um, and really looked at how curators and archivists and museums do this kind of research. Um, then it really shows how the trouble kind of continues. But because basically what I try to show is that um, the infrastructures of documentation and the ways in which the research is done in the museums um, could, contributes to perpetuating colonial um, um, epistemologies within the museum. So um, notions that were invented also um, by anthropology um, that were deeply racist and the ways in which cultures were ordered continues um, to, be, to be done in the museum by, for example, database systems um, or just simply by using the names again that were given to these objects in the 19th century, but the, the names that were given to cultures as well or, or to societies. Um, what I also try to show is really is how within these research processes um, voices continue to be excluded. Um, that means that usually it's really just European researchers who have, first of all, access to the sources that give information about the objects. They have the collections themselves that are on site um, in the museum storages. Um, and they also usually, um, at least when I was looking um, at these research processes, didn't consult any other um, non-Western voices, but rather very often got in contact with um, other European or American, um, Canadian um, researchers who were working on these topics and who were experts um, with regards to particular um, cultural uh, groups. That means that the knowledge that is created as part of provenance research very often remains um, uh, within the, these Western institutions that, that kind of um, push to, to acquire this knowledge and is not shared or opened up to other forms of researches and voices. Um, and even though there are, of course, now many changes and there are research projects that from the beginning on try to integrate different kind of researches, different kind of voices, different institutions um, across continents uh, within these research processes. In Europe, at least when I was doing the, the research, this um, is still the exception. Meaning that if you, when you come back to this question of the troubling nature of this provenance research, asking who does this really serve, um, it shows that in the end it is mainly Western institutions that, that would profit from provenance research, despite the fact that of course we are all very interested and have to show also where these um, collections come from. Um, so to just, yeah, so basically we, we do not only own and um, continue to keep the objects here in Western museums, but we also um, kind of own and continue to, to keep for ourselves the knowledge that is created about these objects. At the, at the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned the Humboldt Forum. And maybe you could give listeners a quick taste of the controversy surrounding the Humboldt Forum here, just for those who don't know. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Yeah, the Humboldt Forum in Berlin City Palace uh, that has just opened its doors to the collections of the museum uh, of the Ethnological Museum and the Museum of Asian Art um, uh, is one of Germany's most debated cultural projects of recent years. It is a project that, of course, has a long history, um, the history of the first palace that was on this site, 
uh, dates back to the 15th century. Um, and the current palace uh, that, is, that, is, that has been built is, uh, in fact, the third on the same site. It is a reconstruction of the original Hohenzollern residence. Um, but in between these two um, imperial Prussian <laughs> references, um, there was also the Palace of the Republic, which, of course, um, was the seat of, uh, of, of government during the GDR realm. So um, this site and this institution has itself already a, a, a history that points to and refracts and embodies the turbulent history of, of Germany since the 15th century and it's in its various iterations. But of course it became um, more problematic and for us uh, in terms of the questions that we raise in this book um, also a more, more interesting um, um, matter of concern since the decision has been made to move into the city palace, the collections uh, of the Ethnological Museum uh, and the Museum of Asian Art in particular, among several other things, um, which in some ways brings together a restorative, conservative shell, I mean, a rebuilt imperial palace um, initiated by uh, private uh, um, agitators, uh, especially Wilhelm von Bodin, um, um, with a collection that has a complex history tied up with uh, uh, Germany's colonial project. This is something that Margareta um, has, has worked on uh, a lot more. But the project itself is, is also a focal point of a whole series of other debates. It is um, um, an attempt in some ways by some of the people involved to go back to a, a, a phase of German history and a, it's a reference that points directly at a point in German history um, before socialist modernism, before the end of imperialism, um, before the Nazi realm. And, and so in some ways, as the French Algerian artist uh, Kara Atia has put it, it is a strange way to jump um, back to um, a moment before injury. It is a strange jump um, that attempts to cover up uh, scars. It is a strange attempt to um, erase uh, um, uh, a lot of um, problematic aspects uh, of German history, which, however, now, in terms of the programming that takes place in it, in terms of the exhibitions, is being addressed. So um, there are many other things that we could say about this institution. Um, and uh, uh, it, perhaps just one thing that I would like to add uh, and that we often speak about during the phase of the Palace of the Republic, especially towards the end when it was already decided that the palace was to be dismantled um, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, the artist Lars Rambeck installed um, in very large letters the German word Zweifel on top of the uh, Palace of the Republic, um, Zweifel meaning doubt. And this installation was really, really encapsulated uh, what this uh, palace in the Humboldt Forum um, uh, is it is a symbol of a grappling with Germany's place in the world. It is a grappling with the relationship of world with Europe, um, and this is this is why it's interesting to us. In reference to Dr. Tinius's chapter, could you talk a little bit about the connections between contemporary art and curation for local and national identity? Yeah, contemporary art and the curatorial in the way that we've been studying it has, of course, they have been troubling precisely the way in which we think about identities, um, the ways in which we think about local and national, but also global. And one of the um, examples of my fieldwork, I've been conducting fieldwork in Berlin on um, contemporary artists, uh, but especially on curatorial narratives and the ways in which the curatorial is involved also in the creation of of longer-term programs for certain institutions, um, such as Savi Contemporary, such as the Institute of Foreign Cultural Relations that I've been studying here, um, but also such as uh, the District Gallery of Wedding. So I've chosen to to highlight in this chapter um, for the book the the initial programming of um, two new program directors that had been chosen um, a few years back uh, by. Uh, the, the district of Wedding, uh, Bonaventure Likung, uh, already mentioned, and the Danish curator Sovai Ovesen. I've been following their programs um, because they struck me as a particularly interesting example of 
the porosity of these concepts and the way in which curatorial practice and, and contemporary art can productively trouble ideas of local, um, national, uh, and so on. That is because the initial program was called POW, or Post-Otherness Vetting, um, which was actually a concept jointly developed based on research um, with our colleague here at the Institute of European Ethnology, Regina Röhmhild. And this concept kind of begins, just to give an example, um, with the same sort of recognition as the post-migrant paradigm. That is to say, it begins from a recognition that migration came first before identity building began. And in order to think of, um, of nations today, of a cosmopolitan nation today, we have to, on the one hand, recognize that migration has long been central to the formation of nations, and at the same time, try somehow, and this is the contradictory and difficult move, to go beyond the um, essentialization and reification of migrant and non-migrant, therefore post-migrant as a paradigm, and Bonaventure, Solvay, and Regina try to take this even one step further and really speak of a post-other um, conceptualization in which we try to move beyond this, this othering um, of certain identities as minorities, as marginal, as peripheral, and so on, and instead begin to realize that the majority and the, 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 the center of national identity is no longer the, the white German, but has since quite some time been that precise other. And so on the one hand, we need to recognize um, this alterity and yet move beyond it in order to come up with new conceptualizations of, of identity. But the gallery did that in other ways that were particularly interesting so, to me. So this district gallery of vetting is actually located in the social office of the district of vetting um, on the ground floor. And it goes around uh, two corners where there's a bus stop. So everybody who really goes to, you know, uh, uh, deal with their issues of employment or unemployment, really has to pass by the huge windows of this gallery um, and look inside this gallery, while the gallery, of course, also looks outside and connects to this district. But what they did in, this in, the, in, in, in the long-term programming was specifically to think about projections onto the district. Um, so what is our image in Berlin of vetting uh, uh, a northern district, um, perhaps less gentrified, but certainly in that process than other uh, districts of Berlin, often projected as precisely this sort of migrant other district. Um, and in the programming of, of, of the gallery, um, for instance, in projects that I discuss in the, in the chapter by uh, Emeka Ogbo or Viron Irol Wert, um, the curators and the artists try to deal with the prejudices of locality and of certain kinds of, um, I suppose, concrete neighborhoods um, in order to, to, to play and, and really scale up these problems. So to scale up um, from the concrete issues of a neighborhood and to show that these same issues of, you know, uh, images of alcoholism in a district that actually is, uh, uh, is, is, is uh, populated by um, a lot of Muslims. So that's already a problematic and contradictory sort of projection um, or to deal with other kinds of, uh, uh, I suppose, stereotypes, it tried to scale up these problems and say that these, these issues that you face right in your neighborhood are comparable to issues you face on a national level when you're trying to deal with uh, national identity. Um, so, so this concrete negotiation of worlds, I suppose, was, was something that was done in that gallery and that, that struck me as, um, as being a very good example of this across-anthropology um, trajectory that we we propose in the book. And although our conversation has highlighted Germany sort of inevitably, uh, as you mentioned, this book goes far beyond Germany to include all, uh, a number of European countries. Maybe you could speak about that a little bit before we, uh, we end the interview. Yeah, we really try to, to, um, to include, um, as many different kind of perspectives from European institutions as possible and going really trying to not only also look at large institutions, of course, but also at, at smaller and um, more low-key and maybe less known institutions. So, uh, for example, um, Sarah Demar, she wrote a very fascinating chapter on the ways in which um, activists in Belgium have tried to uh, work with, but also against, and uh, the 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 debates um, 
on, on provenance um, colonial collections with regards to the Royal Museum for Central Africa. Um, so that that's one, I think, really, really striking example of, of a, a decade-long kind of fight against institutional um, um, institutional or for institutional critique, really. Um, and um, so we, we really, yeah, try to see what kind of different, where also with regards, like in, in, in link with the project here in Berlin, trying to look where is heritage being transformed, where is, is anthropology being negotiated, as we said, and um, then also then tr trying to look not only from outside of the institution, like in Belgium, as I just mentioned, but also, for example, um, from within the institution. So in, in Paris, uh, the, we, we took one really striking example or interesting example of how anthropological uh, theory is being employed in an exhibition within one of these anthropological institutions, namely the Musée du Quai Branly, where um, one, one exhibition called Persona um, was, um, was de developed by um, both anthropologists and curators or anthropolo anthropological curators and um, dealing with questions of subjecthood, objecthood, um, and really with collections trying to um, yeah, address these these um, really um, pressing kind of anthropological um, um, debates on ontology. Um, yeah, so I think something else that one one could maybe add to this is that with an edited collection that deals with such a vast series of topics, of course, one is always faced with the issue of selection, and we have given it quite some thought as to whether to expand this conversation, because of course, you know, Europe is problematized elsewhere too, just like anthropology is, is problematized beyond it. Um, but we decided not to just expand the scope of the book to, as it were, the planet uh, uh, and locations everywhere, partly because we didn't want to give this false sense of wholeness or completeness. Um, and we figured that we speak from very particular positions um, and we see and can trace only a certain number of these relationships very clearly in our work. And we wanted to depart from that, um, which is one of the reasons, I suppose, that perhaps Italy, France, Belgium, Germany play also such a role um, in, in the interviews and in this, in this book, partly because these were countries and to whose major uh, collections and museums we had direct uh, research contact with them which we saw reacting to one another too. So one aspect of the transforming the ethnographic research section that we worked with was really also to understand how um, cultural policies get translated, how certain nations respond to one another, push one another, and maybe even trying to catch up with one another, be the first to announce a certain kind of critical or progressive stance on museums and restitution, um, as we've seen in the, in, the, in the debate that has unfolded in recent years um, about restitution. So, so that's been one aspect. And of course, it's also been part of a larger move within scholarship and, and curatorial and artistic practice to try and reconsider the legacies of these major European imperial powers. But at the same time to show, perhaps with a nod to you know, the work of Michael Rothberg and others uh, focusing on, on multidirectional memory, also to show, um, as Erika Lehrer does um, in her chapter on post-colonial, post-Holocaust, Polish ethnographic collections to show how perhaps there are also museums in which, um, while initially, or collections in which, while initially, um, the question of, of European imperialism may not be so central, they suddenly arise nonetheless through concepts such as um, the implicated subject or communities of implication, um, which is discussed in this chapter. Could you also talk briefly about your decision to use uh, these photographs? These photographs are wonderful part of the book. I'd love to hear about it. You mean the visual constellations of the field? I mean the, the photographs that come at the beginning of every chapter and through every chapter, and then the photographs at the end as well. Yeah, we really try to go beyond an, a traditional academic publication with this book. And I think part of part of this was also to to think about ways in which it could go beyond text as well. So we really um, thought a lot about 
the book's design and the ways in which it was split up that also like as I already said like like airing up a little bit this sometimes very heavy content and so we we and and we also really wanted to go beyond um visual documentation as just an illustration but really show that it is essential an essential part of research for us now and this is and so the the idea of having what we call the visual constellations of of the field is really to give an insight not only through text but also through these images and to show also the diversity of of, of image production that is being done in this field from exhibition views to objects, looking at objects in their details, uh, looking also at their captions, for example, through then also documentations of, um, of particular scenes in museums. For example, I really um, insisted on having background, like kind of background um, work images uh, from, from within the museum. And so trying to show that this is, yeah, that it, it it goes beyond just looking at text interviews, etc., but really seeing this as material that could also be used by others. And I, I suppose we stick with this term visual constellations of the field also in 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 our work since and in our reflections on what we do, partly because as ethnographers, even though graphy as opposed to writing is 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 within um, the description of our central practice, we very often start from scenes or from experiences that are much more multisensorial um, that have to do with senses that have to do with with seeing uh, with uh, ideas of close being in a claustrophobic space for instance or an open space which is why i mentioned the windows for instance uh, of this gallery and so visual constellations in this case really refers also to the way in which they inform one another how certain kinds of spaces are shaped um, you may see that in the interviews that we conducted, we very often asked about anthropological framings. Um, I suppose in some reference to you know the work of Henrietta Litchi, for instance, analyzing again exhibitions as three-dimensional forms of narratives that have to do with captions, with height, with with length, with light, um, with size, with space, with openness and closeness, and so on. Um, so so it, that was important for us. And the visual constellations also in the makeup of the book have a little bit to do with the last sections. So we realized that with an open access book, an index is perhaps less useful than um, ever before, um, even though we sometimes still like to browse through, through, uh, through an index. But we decided instead to create two more lists of central concepts um, that we, I suppose, selected much more consciously um, than doing it with an automated index creator, um, as well as institutions and exhibitions um, that have been mentioned throughout the book, because we really felt that these, this is something we often look for when we open a book. We want to see what are the central exhibitions that have been discussed, um, what are the institutions that, um, that have been talked about, even just in reference um, or in passing in, in passing in interviews. And also then with this list of exhibition institutions, just really kind of following also a movement in art history where basically it's not so much more, so much anymore about the artwork itself, but more about the ways in which it has been contextualized and, and shown as part of exhibitions, for example. And, we, and because these exhibitions really sometimes mark major moments in, in the history of culture that is still a little bit under, yeah, underrepresented basically in the, in, yeah. So I think this is also something that we really wanted to highlight also in relation, of course, with the role of the curator. This book is absolutely outstanding. And there's so much more in it that we haven't gotten to. But I always try to uphold one New Books Network tradition, which is by closing with one final question. And that is, what are you working on now? Um. Yeah, so basically, we we really try to continue the to to inquire the questions that we raise in across anthropology. So really, together in in our collaboration, thinking about the ways in which um, anthropology is negotiated and how it can also be carried outside of its disciplinary borders and institutions. And um, so, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons that um, we've actually devised the book really not as a conclusive statement on these uh, on these topics at all but as we elaborate in the introduction it's it's a first inquiry 
in a series of inquiries. Um, and what we've been doing so far, instead of, as it were, having book launches or book discussions, we, we think of um, a term that we, we both quite like, which is an iteration. So um, every conversation that we have around the book usually involves at least one contributor to the book and a context or an institution that somehow shows and, and, and enacts this, um, this cross-pollination of spheres. So, you know, we would do um, an event together with somebody who's written about curating, Roger Sansi, for instance, who wrote a, a beautiful um, uh, post-phase to the book. Or, uh, you know, we would do that in uh, the context of the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, or we would go to the Grassi Museum, but also... Um, the Art Academy and the Curatorial Masters uh, done by Beatrice von Bismarck in Leipzig, for instance. And so we always try to somehow show how this book can inform and speak to and takes inspiration from different um, contexts across anthropology, art, um, colonial reckoning, and so on. Um, With that also um, trying, I mean, we, we don't try to avoid the context and the kind of fruition within this discipline itself. So we also tried, for example, um, and to to during anthropological conferences to present the book and put it to discussion and also try to then within the discipline kind of put the finger onto the wounded really say well look at also at, at how other people are dealing with this the question of how anthropology is being dealt with today. Um, but I suppose much more concretely, yes, of course we are. Um, uh, we I mean we actually just. <laughs> I suppose, finished a, um, a more or less sequel, perhaps, to this book. It's kind of a continuation in different ways. Um, it's, a, it's a project called Awkward Archives that we've been working on together with the Haus der Kultur in der Welt now for quite some time, um, which we've conceived as a, as a modular curriculum um, of ethnographic drafts. So it's, it's really deliberately designed um, together with uh, the publishing house uh, Archive, um, founded by Chiara Figone. Um, it is designed as a, as a, as a spiral-bound modular device that one can use, download, um, reshuffle, and it focuses on the way in which certain problematic uh, essentializing modern ideologies, um, universalism, nature, sexuality, and so on, have um, been pervasive and enacted through archives in Berlin. So we're working on that as a as a teachable curriculum at the moment. So basically what we did is that we um, that we selected different archives in Berlin which serve as a point of departure to then discuss these modern ideologies and their continuity or questioning um, and kind of each each of the different sessions in the, in this book because it will be seminar sessions basically modules as we call them um, is based on is, is kind of compiled um, of different material, including visual, but also interviews, exercises. So trying to make also this content, um, yeah, um, more accessible and and to to have this general framing that we propose, but to also be able to to just take parts of it and use it elsewhere, um, be it within academic but also artistic or curatorial contexts. That's super exciting! Super exciting. <laughs> The book is Across Anthropology, published in 2020 by Leuven University Press, and is available in open access, so all you have to do is search for it on the internet. Dr. Van Oswald, Dr. Tinius, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you.